This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. everyone, and welcome to Women Who Travel, a podcast from Condé Nast Traveller. I'm Lale Arakoglu, and with me, as always, is my co-host Meredith Carey. Hello! Last week, we published the Women Who Travel Guide to New Music Around the World, which featured stories about everything from a female collective in Nigeria honouring the legacy of Afrobeats, to a Cambodian singer working to bring back a vibrant music scene. In honour of the guide, we're talking all things music this week with an extra special guest, TK Meidzer, a rapper, pop artist, R&B singer, and so much more. TK is a prolific musician, and her latest single, Syrup, was released in April. Usually based in Australia, she's joining us from her brand new home in LA. Thanks for chatting with us today. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? <laughs> We're good. So good. It's suddenly summer. Yeah, it's really hot. <laughs> yeah. I'm sweating. I'm actually like sweating right now, but at least no one's around me, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, I, it's the same here, and I just closed my window, and I'm feeling very <laughs> sticky. So, <laughs> um, Well, to start off in the very beginning for you, you were born in Zimbabwe and grew up kind of all over Australia. Um mm-hmm. How do you feel like moving around and traveling as much as you did growing up has impacted your music or just how you've approached being creative over the years? Yeah, I think the lesson that I learned from like traveling around a lot was to just never get too attached to anything. And I think the way I approach just my everyday life, it, I'm always just looking for something else to do. And if I'm in the same place too long, then I feel stagnant and stuck. So I think I've just learned to embrace the movement and not fight it kind of thing. Like I think the way I make music as well is very like eclectic and I'm always moving around. And I think when you're a kid as well, like you wonder if the fact that you're traveling a lot and you don't have enough time to like get to know friends and have like that strong base of friendships, you're kind of like, oh, is there something wrong with me? And I think for a while, I was thinking that I was like, why can't I just like stick to one thing? But sometimes there is something really cool about not really being from one place and having so many different influences. So I think I've just learned to adapt and accept it because that's what I had to do when I was younger. And it's like, it's so interesting. The cycles kind of just come back in different ways. What do you think that sort of learning moment was for you as a kid? Was it conscious that you decided you you kind of gained that understanding? I think the moment I learned the lesson was when I was going to school, like I was playing tennis as well. And my parents 
were always like focused on sport and learning. It was more so just like looking within and focusing on my personal development when I was younger. That's kind of helped me become who I am. And I guess in some ways you're kind of like, damn, I wish I had more like childhood friends. But I think in like a worldly sense, it's like the stuff that you do by yourself that show your true worth kind of thing. So I think I've just tried to always like just try and be better and focus on myself in times where I feel confused and or like, yeah, lost, I guess. You were saying that, you know, in being not necessarily like set on one thing and being like really flexible with whatever comes your way. Um, like Lala mentioned in the beginning, you know, your uh, like a description of your music is really hard to fit into one sentence. Like what would you what would you describe as your current musical style? I just say it's alternative of anything, (laughs) of anything. Like it's alternative pop, alternative rap, alternative R&B. Like I'm always, it's just, it's left of center of anything because I'm always looking for something that's new and different and trying to make it my own instead of doing what has been done before. So I just say alternative and to genre here. That's TK. Not with all genres, but I feel like with a lot of genres, people who either make music within them or are fans of them can be quite territorial about what that genre is supposed to sound like. Yeah. Um, have, that, have there been challenges in sort of always being kind of left and centre and making that choice in terms of working with or crossing paths with people f- listening to those genres and introducing them to your music? Um, not really, because I think when I know when I make a song and it's like fits a very certain mood... Um, if I set the intention that that was exactly what I was supposed to do and I feel really good about it, it's like, if it doesn't work, maybe it wasn't good enough. But if it does work, then I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. I think it's more so just about how I feel about it and if I'm really excited about it and how many times I listen to it after I make it. And also, like, three months later, you know, kind of thing. That's kind of how I gauge, yeah, the energy and, like, the vibe of whether if there is a challenge or not. That's I think the biggest challenge is me if anything. Um, You were mentioning, you know, when you were moving around a lot that your parents were really into getting you into sports and stuff. And I feel like as someone who also moved around a lot when I was a kid, um, like my family was the constant that I had when I was moving. And your family is full of musicians from what I can tell on the internet. Um, (laughs) how, How do you feel like their music or their lessons have influenced your career path and, and what you've chosen to do with your music? The one thing I've noticed about my uncles is that they do what they love and it's so natural to them. And I think when I was releasing my first album, I was so confused as to like what I wanted to do next and if I was on the right path. And I I looked within and I was just like, what did I like listening to when I was younger and like what resonated to me then and what's important to me now? And I was finding those parallels being like, oh, I like alternative R&B because it's so much similar to like Indieri and Lauryn Hill and artists like that. And when I look at artists like that, they're being really honest, but they sound like they are free as well. And that also was very similar with my parents. Like, it's just very... My parents have always promoted just, like, doing what you want and if it makes you feel good and if you feel like you're on the right path and you feel like you're fulfilling your, like, I don't know, your spiritual journey, but as well as not selling yourself short and, like, being lazy in in that sense as well. And I think those are the parallels I found. It was mostly just, like, staying true to your roots, but then also making sure you're not being lazy. It does. It feels like a good 
good mantra to live by. You know, staying on the subject of your family's relationship to music, how did music become such a presence in your family? How, uh, you know, you mentioned your uncles, but how did it seep in? Every weekend, my dad would have shows and gigs with like friends and other like, just people he knew they would come to our house and record. And I felt like there was always music in the house. And I was listening to a lot of music. Like I loved listening to, I don't know, Pussycat Dolls to like um, Eve, Gwen Stefani. And then it went to, into like Charlie XCX, you know, Nicki Minaj, Kendrick Lamar. Like I was always looking for something new. And I would go on LimeWire and download you know, those big packs of songs and you, you didn't even know what you were downloading, but I was so excited to listen to that. And eventually it was around that era on Facebook where, where a lot of people were doing remixes of just like random beats that were being dropped by good music, you know, like Kanye West and all that kind of stuff. And I thought, wow, it'd be funny if I just made covers and remixes. So I, I made my own remixes to these songs these existing songs and I would upload them on YouTube and create like a very DIY music video and I I was doing that for probably like a whole year and my mom was like why don't you go to a proper studio and record and I was like what do you mean and she found this studio that was free that was two hours away from where we live so I would take a two-hour train after school on every Monday um, and I would just hang around listen to all the other kids record and watch people make beats and just soak it in because I I just really wanted to learn. Um, And then eventually, probably after like six months, I was like, okay, I have like this one song I want to record. And that song ended up being like my first introduction to Australia um, on Triple J, which was like the biggest indie station there. So yeah, that was kind of the little journey. You know, I know you were saying earlier that you are alt everything, but you've also spoken in the past about how Australian hip hop in particular is different from Mm -hmm. American hip hop, is different from British hip hop. Um, Mm -hmm. Can you explain how the Australian scene like stands out and how you've brought your own personal lived experience Mm -hmm. into the mix? Yeah, I think it stands out firstly because it's always it's like a different perspective. And I think. In Australia, there is a lot of, like, African artists that are almost doing the same, like, kind of genre of that, like, alternative soulful rap. So there's other artists like Sampa the Great, um, another guy named Genesis Lewisu, another guy named Remy. And it's all this, like, low-key, down-tempo, but really introspective stuff. And that's kind of been the new wave in terms of, like, Africans. Um, and then there's the side where we have drill in Australia, Um, I think what I do or, like, what I bring to the Australian scene is probably that, like, innovative kind of, like, left-to-center rap. Like, I love... I was probably one of the first, like, dance rap artists in Australia. Like, I was 16, and that would have been the same era for Zelia Banks and Santi Gold and MIA and, like, a lot of, like, the club um, era that was happening. So... I think that was, like, the new step from having, I guess, like, bro-y Australian rap. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think that was, like, the beginning. It was more so just kids coming up and being like, hey, like, I have a story to tell and I'm going to talk about people being annoying and ruining my day and how I want to be the coolest kid ever kind of thing. And that was such a different perspective. 
Um, speaking, speaking, speaking of the bros, you know, kind of taking ownership over a lot of Australian hip hop. Um, do you think you and others felt you were consciously trying to like make space within that genre, or did it? Is it only in retrospect that you can really see that there was a sort of shift change? Around that time, I was probably like one. Those probably those me and another kid. He is Australian, but. I think our perspective was very like I'm a kid and I'm like doing young teenage things. Um, that felt like the shift because it was almost like oh, there's a new wave of like kids that could actually cross over mm-hmm. overseas because I think that's Australian hip hop sound does sound very Australian. So it's almost like why would the rest of the world relate? Which is like, it's just a true thing and that that's even like a thing I'm th- I think about when I write and I'm like cool, this is like my story, but if I make it so like oh, I'm talking about this one street in this in this small city. It's like, how relatable is that? Um, so I think it was just like, for me, this other guy, all day, we were taking influence from like international artists and just making it our own and just using, because that was like the way we interacted with people in our daily life. Like a lot of kids now go on like TikTok and Instagram and stuff. And it's like, that's the way we talk. And I think that was probably the shift then, but because it was so early, I was more so just surprised that things were happening, if anything. Like, I wasn't really thinking, well, I'm going to change Australia or, like, be the beginning of something else. Yeah. I'm Nomi Fry, and this week on Critics at Large, we're talking about the delights and shortcomings of the new movie Challengers. It starred Zendaya at the center of a tennis triangle and a very steamy love triangle. Who are her loyalties to? Will she be tempted by the other one? How do these guys reckon their professional playing ambition with their romantic and sexual feelings about this mysterious woman? And such we have it. We have a conflict between three people in a game meant for two. Is it a sports movie or a sex movie? Find out on Critics at Large from The New Yorker. New episodes drop every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to level up? For me, it's my hiking boots, which have gotten me over some pretty tough terrain. And I'm not talking about my morning commute on the New York City subway. They've pushed me to go to far-off places like trekking in the remote mountains in Patagonia, wildlife spotting amid the thick rainforest of the Amazon, and climbing through canyons in the Utah desert. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. There's an available panorama glass roof, 33-inch all-terrain tires, and multi-terrain select driving modes. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior means that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. You mentioned earlier that you started out 
in the industry quite young. Um, you've been, you know, publicly making music for nearly a decade now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the last year and a half has been a lot different for a lot of musicians. But if you think back, you know, 2019 and before, um, what are the biggest lessons you feel like you learned while traveling specifically on tour? I feel like when you're in tour, you have to learn not to take things personally because everyone's in a high pressure um, environment and it's very like, okay, you're doing this show and then you have to move on. And I think when you're like homesick, you start to, I don't know, there can be some emotional people on tour. So I think that's also the thing about like traveling a lot. You learn not to take things too personally because you're not there for long enough kind of thing. Um, and that's how you kind of move on and you can focus on one thing and then move on to the next. That's probably, that's the biggest thing for me, I think. Do you enjoy touring? I do. You do? Yeah, I love it so much. I actually, I love just being like half asleep all the time. Like I'm always, <laughs> <laughs> I'm always asleep, but I'm like kind of there and kind of not. And then you hop on stage and you're like, okay, back to bed. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of like it. You guess it's like, usually if I finish a project, it feels like a celebration where I can just kind of log off and I'm having fun. I think touring can become a bit taxing when you know that there's things on your to-do list that you can't do on the move. And Mm -hmm. I think that's where a lot of artists lose their mind because they're like, oh my God, I need to write music. I have to like plan this and that, but there's just not enough time in the day because traveling and playing shows takes so much energy out of you. Um, So I think when the like, yeah, the music side of stuff is in balance, then I love, like I'm all for touring. (laughs) Do you ever have any time to like explore or any, are there any places where you're like, I have to schedule in an extra day because I want to be in this place. Yeah. Usually you have like two or three days off. It just depends on the like show schedule. You might have like five shows in a row or you have like three in a row and you have two days off kind of thing. Um, I find that I always have more days off in like the bigger cities. So if we were doing like Europe, you tend to spend like a week in London or like five days in London um, or like, I don't know, Paris or something, or if you're in LA, you spend more time there because I guess they schedule other things around to do that. And when I do have free time, I'll be like, oh, I'm going to go to a museum or something or hang out with a friend I haven't seen in a while. Obviously, the past year has not really enabled musicians to tour or play mm-hmm. live much, but COVID response in Australia has been quite different from here in the US. Um, Mm -hmm. What has life been like for you there? Um, Both just, you know, as a person living through this moment and also as a musician. Yeah, I quite enjoyed the beginning of quarantine because I felt like I felt like the last seven years have been like, just go, 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 go. So it was the first time I was home with my family for like eight months. Um, And when I was shooting music videos and stuff, it was in my bedroom or making content. It was in my bedroom. I had a green screen and stuff. So it felt like I was going back to the high school version of me where I was doing a lot of DIY stuff. And I had time to just think things through that I felt like I was burying within. So I don't know, like I had a lot of time to just recoup, recollect. I didn't have to write a lot of music because I'd done so before lockdown. So, so there wasn't really any pressure for that, but after like the eight month mark, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm like 24 years old. I'm with my parents. I need to go somewhere else. Um, so that's why I'm here in LA now. Um, 
yeah, it's it's still been kind of like in that isolation stage. I guess we're getting out of it now, but it's been a good time to reflect for me, to say the most, and just like take care of my health and focus on what's important firstly. Um, you mentioned how kind of getting more DIY with the music and content that you were creating in your childhood bedroom felt like it took you back to high school. Do you think it was like an opportunity to sort of use some muscles that you hadn't in a while when it came to creativity? Definitely. I had to open up iMovie again and (laughs) I was like, how do you, how do you use this? It's so complex now. And, um, learning more about Photoshop, just like all of these, you know, um, programs that I was using when I was younger, making flyers and random like collages and, um, little like 15 second green screen things where you could be like, oh my God, I can multiply myself and make myself come from like different angles and like spin it around. It was actually so fun. (laughs) Do you feel like because you didn't have to be writing, you didn't have to be like, you weren't on like the same deadlines that, that uh, some artists that I know have been, have been on during Mm -hmm. this time, you could kind of like explore these different avenues of creativity differently? Um, Or were you just like, I don't have to, I'm not on deadline. I don't have to be stressed about this. So I'm not going to worry about it. Yeah. No, I was definitely worried about it because I guess it's that whole thing that because everyone's in lockdown, does that mean I've missed my opportunity to take that next step? So I was wondering how I could do it in a way where you don't necessarily need a lot of people to help you. And maybe people will relate to it more because they could probably do it as well if they wanted to. Do you know what I mean? So it felt like a good time to be creative, but also just like step it up in a way where I do have my hands on it so I have more control over it I don't know I was definitely putting pressure on myself but it was more fun because I had more hands on it and it wasn't like emailing people and just being more outward it was more inward kind of like guys I'll get back to you in like three days and I would spend three days on iMovie and it was very like what I put in was what I got out of it and it was actually really satisfying because I was really proud of like a lot of things that I made in that time I don't know that sense of a lost year is like very relatable um as you come back into the world again do you think that you're kind of just getting it back quite quickly in terms of your career path and where you're headed for me it almost felt like it didn't really stop when I was home like things were a lot slower but I think Every step I took whilst in isolation or quarantine, it felt like a bigger step every time. So it's it's even more exciting now because it can amount to like touring instead of being like, oh, this song's going off, but no one's going to hear it out and it'll, you know, live on Spotify or whatever. I don't know. Like, I'm really excited. I feel like every step we've taken in the last 12 months has been like another step forward and stuff. So, yeah. When you think about this year what does it have in store for you how are you preparing for what 2021 could bring um so I've just gotten a new apartment and I'm like settling in LA that that was that's been like the biggest goal that I had I've had since like I don't know five years ago um which makes it so much easier for me because I can like do touring here and I have a base and everything and I'm just like looking to do proper headline shows and have like a proper new band that I'm like really excited to play with. 
obviously last year was with three we'll be out soon i'm really excited for that and just working on the album after that that's kind of like the focus right now because we are in this weird in between where you can feel everything's like really coming back but then you also do still have a lot of time and i really want to just like capitalize on that before it becomes oh my god you have to drive here and meet this person here and like you're just outside the whole day (laughs) it is right now it is the first time where I'm starting to feel aware that my time is going to become much more scarce quite soon right yeah yeah exactly because you can before you could be like I don't have to go outside (laughs) I can just sit here (laughs) you have yeah you have no excuse and I, I, yeah, like I went for a hike with a friend yesterday morning. Then I was like, oh my God, I have to go for like a lunch thing. And then before you know it, it's 7 p.m. And you're like, what? Which I'm <laughs> yeah. you know, not complaining over, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a shift. It's, it's a, a shift. shift. It's, it's a shift. shift. It's a shift. Yeah. I'm so introverted. So I'm almost like, wait, <laughs> let me stay inside. <laughs> but, have, yeah. yeah. But I, yeah, but it has to happen. So, uh, music package um, that we mentioned right at the beginning of the episode has been all about spotlighting women carving out space in different music scenes around the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, who are some of the women musicians you're most excited about right now or who you've been listening to lately? Yeah, um, I really have been loving No Name. I really like Green Tea Pang. She's so dope. Uh, this girl named Joyce Rice and... I've been listening to a lot of Scissor again. I'm becoming very introspective, but um, I'm at that like digging point where I'm like, hmm, what's new? Let me see what's happening. And um, I feel like a lot of these artists are similar age to me. So it's always really interesting just hearing like the words they say and like just the sounds they use. And it's very like almost immersing yourself in what you want to become in a way. So yeah, that's what I'm listening to. Now that we don't have giant miscellaneous LimeWire downloads to pull from. Where do you find new music? I am very visual based, so I tend to browse on YouTube a lot. And then secondly, Spotify, because I feel like it's very visual and colorful and I'm just drawn to colors and artwork. Um, Well, you can find a Spotify playlist of some of Women Who Travel's favorite female artists on Spotify right now. And if people want to keep up with you, TK, and find out when your album comes out and keep up with all the singles, where can they find you on the internet? Uh, You can find me anywhere like Instagram, Facebook, Spotify, Apple Music. Just search TK Maidza or TK and then look for someone with big hair. And that's me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You can find me at Oh Hey There Mayor. And me at Lale Hannah. We will have links to all of TK's social media um, and the Women Who Travel Instagram and our newsletter in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining us, TK. Enjoy settling into LA. And we'll talk to everyone else next week. The Run Through with Vogue is where you'll meet all the most exciting people in fashion and culture. I am Fran Libowitz. Um, we should be the mayor of New York. We all support yeah, that. Yeah, we support that. Renee. <laughs> <laughs> Nikki. Yes. It's been really great she being in this beautiful pink room. All right, Asher, can you hear us? I can hear you. All right. Can you hear me? 
We can. We can. All right, here we are. <laughs> On the podcast, you'll learn how Vogue really works. Sometimes we'll come in for a second or even third run through until we are AWOK. Can you tell us what AWOK means? It means um, A-W-O-K and a winter OK. I'm Cho Minardi. And I'm Chloe Mal. And we're the hosts of The Run Through with Vogue, where fashion and culture collide. Join us. It's AWOK. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth.